100% pure gold and you mix it with 95% pure gold, that 100% pure gold is not pure gold any longer, right? We all get this. Science class, just basic math, it works. So in order for 100% pure God to be joined with someone or something that is impure, that which is impure needs to be purified. Our relativistic world says that there are many paths to God and that we're all children of God. If you've been the parent of a teenager, you might have used the phrase, my house, my rules at some point. Pastor Daniel will teach that when it comes to who gets to be considered a child of God, God says, my family, my rules. And that is hard for our pluralistic society to handle, which points out their basic problem which is rebellion against God. Now here's Pastor Daniel in 1 John chapter 3 as he begins his message, God is pure. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3 as we continue this study that we're calling God is Underline. God is a very common word, isn't it? All sorts of people talk about God. If someone says to you, I don't believe in God, your first question should always be, well, which God is it that you don't believe in? And oftentimes, whatever God they tell you they don't believe in, it's not the God who Christians believe in either. People, when they say, I believe in God, I always ask the same question, well, which God is it that you do believe in? God is such a common word, And that's why God has given us his heart, who he is. He's revealed himself to us in the Bible. The spirit of God inspiring human authors. So although we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are human authors, but there is the author behind the human authors who is inspiring, who is prompting them to write what they write. And here in 1 John We have the Apostle John, the Apostle whom Jesus loved, revealing to us who God is. With each chapter, there is one overarching quality of who God is. Remember in 1 John chapter 1, we went through the reality that God is light. And in God is no darkness at all. For today, we're going to learn that God is pure. God is pure. Now, listen to a philosopher named Ralph Waldo Emerson, pretty well-known philosopher, he said it this way, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something. Have no doubt about that either. He may think that his tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of his heart, but it will come out. That which dominates will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Now, I don't agree with a lot of things that Emerson said, but that is right on the money. What he's saying is 
that what we worship will be revealed in who we are and that all people worship something. There is not a person on God's great creation, the globe, that does not worship. It's just a matter of who, what, and how. And whatever we worship, that is who we become. That which dominates, he said, will determine his life and character. So whatever the object of our worship is, that's what dominates and that's what determines who we are, how we live, how we carry ourselves in this world. That's why he says, he exhorts even. He says, it behooves us to be careful what we worship for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. All of humanity is in the process of becoming, of growing, of being conformed into some image. And that is why when you realize that God is light, you say, I want to worship that God who is light so that I am in the process of being made light in him. When you say that God is righteous, that all he does is right, We're saying, I want to worship this God because as he is righteous, he is making me righteous. I am in the process of becoming righteous in experience. I've been made righteous in Christ by position because of my faith in Jesus. And now today, God is pure. And let's be honest, which one of us doesn't want to be pure? Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with our own impurities and we struggle seeing the impurities of those who are the closest to us being played out in real time, right? We get frustrated with people's impurities. But if we choose to worship anyone other than the pure God of the Bible, we will not be in the process of being made pure and becoming pure. So whoever we worship, we are in the process of becoming So let's jump right on into this text. And I really want to encourage you, take 1 John this upcoming week and just read through it. You can read through this book in literally five minutes if you're a fast reader, 10 minutes if you're a slow reader. There is so much in these words, in these verses, in these chapters, in these pages. Man, soak in it. Let it get down deep into your soul. So let's jump in. 1 John chapter 3, picking up in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. These verses teach us a very simple reality that God is pure and we are loved. You see, I get the reality that God is pure from verse three, just as he is pure. When you think about what purity means, it means a condition of being without any modifying addition, lacking anything that pollutes freedom from debasement or contamination. God is free of any admixture on any sort, totally pure, totally and completely of one essence. 
without any pollution at all. That's powerful. God is pure. No corruption. And not only is God pure, but we are loved. And that, brothers and sisters, is absolutely riveting. That God is completely unmixed, uncorrupted, and he still loves us. Even the best of us in this room fails in innumerable ways, right? Maybe not outwardly, but inwardly, if we're honest with our motivations, right? With the state of our hearts. But it begins, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. That word bestowed could also be translated lavished. What manner of love that has been lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. You know, in a broken world, so many of us struggle with the reality that we are loved. Oftentimes we've had physical parents who did not love us, did not care for us. I mean, let's be honest, the best set of parents in here that we've had we're still pretty dysfunctional, right? I mean, if we're really honest, there's no perfect parents. And so for so many of us, because we lacked the lavishment of love upon our hearts, this reality that we are loved by God might seem like, how is that possible? And I want to encourage you, if you're one of those people who just can't even fathom that God could love you because of the life that you live, I want you to take First John chapter 3, verse 1. I want you to bank it. I want you to write it down. I want you to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Wow. Whoever would believe in Jesus, God has given the right to be children of God. Wow. This pure God loves by lavishing and adopting, bringing us to him. Notice though, in the middle of verse one, therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. You notice that not everyone is a child of God. Now, I want to take a moment here because when I say that, I realize that it runs against what is a cultural value and it also runs against what for most of us is a personal value. I mean, I want to say that everyone's a child of God, right? That no matter who you are, what you've done, that you are part of God's family. And in a lot of ways, when you see what goes on in our culture, like on election night, there was the gay marriage amendment that went through. And I remember watching one of the commercials. We're all children of God. So it's a cultural value and a person. I mean, who wants to be the one who says you are a child of God and you're not? Now, guess what? I don't want to be that person. And what's great, and you don't want to be that person, which is great, but God gets to say who's in my family and who's not. And I don't believe that not everyone is a child of God because I necessarily like it. I believe that because God's word says it. 
And the reason God's word says it is because unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God would say you are not his child. Why? Because God is pure and we are not. And the only way for purity to maintain purity when being joined to impurity is to purify that which is impure. And the only way for an impure person like you or me to be made pure is to receive the grace of God that was blood-bought for us at Calvary's cross. If you take 100% pure gold and you mix it with 95% pure gold, that 100% pure gold is not pure gold any longer, right? We all get this. Science class, just basic math, it works. So in order for 100% pure God to be joined with someone or something that is impure, that which is impure needs to be purified. And that is why, although everyone was created in the image and likeness of God, only those who receive the cleansing and forgiveness that comes from Jesus, only those can say, I am a child of God. That's the way God designed it. So it says here that even though we're children of God, we have a unique parentage. And we are strangers to this world. It says that the world won't even understand. They don't know us because they did not know him. And then I love this verse two, beloved. I love when I read that in the Bible. You know, sometimes I wish I was from the South because I could say, like J. Vernon McGee of old, dearly beloved. When was the last time you just talked to somebody, you called them beloved because they are beloved of the Lord? You know, there's a big difference between saying, I am a sinner who loves God and saying, I am beloved of God and I struggle against sin. There's a big difference between those two. Brothers and sisters, you are beloved of God and yet you struggle with impurity. We need to place that at the forefront, beloved. I love that. And call each other beloved in the family room. Beloved of God. Notice this. Now we are children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What this teaches us is that we are in process. We are not fully formed yet. We are in the process of becoming. And we know that when he is revealed, when Jesus returns, we will see him as he is and we will be like him. Now, the reality that we're all in process is important because then you have grace with one another. When you realize that you're in process and I'm in process and your spouse is in process and your kids are in process and your coworkers are in process, you give them grace because you don't expect them to be perfect because the Bible says they're not perfect yet. They're in the process of being made into the image of Christ. So be gracious with each other. We're all growing. Amen. And that's an encouraging thing because God does not expect us to have everything dialed in all the way because we're in the process of growing. So when you rub up against somebody and their growing edges or pricking your growing edges, instead of getting upset with them, just love them right where they are because that's what God does. God's working on them. But notice verse three, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Don't miss that. God is purifying us by his spirit, but we are also in the process of purifying ourselves with the reality that Jesus is coming back. 
There's something that happens when we believe in the imminent return of Jesus. It gets us going, right? It helps us from being lazy. When you feel that, I mean, let's be honest. Let's talk to the guys here for a second, especially you dads. When mom and wifey go away and you're home with the kids, does any of you dads actually clean up the house before the morning that your wife's coming back? Maybe a couple of you sick ones are, right? All dads know how this rolls, right? It's like the house is gone, right? But then you know, you know when wifey's coming back, right? You know when mom's coming back. And then everything gets, if you're a good husband and dad, everything gets put back together again, right? Because you know she's not coming back until this day. And you know that when she comes back, as long as it's clean when she comes back, who knows what happened in the middle? All the wives are at brunch after. Is that really what you do? (laughs) We won't even talk about the cupcakes for breakfast either, right? But if you don't know when your wife's coming back and you want to be a stand-up good husband, what do you do? You keep it clean the whole time, right? Yeah. When you don't know at what hour the master will return, you get the job done. And that's exactly the way Jesus wants us. He doesn't want us sitting back, reclining, be like, listen, Jesus ain't coming back, so what's the big deal? I'll get my life together later. I'll get on this stuff later. No, no, brothers, sisters, now is the acceptable hour. Now is the time. Today, the rest of the day, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. And when we have that hope that he is coming and that when he comes, we will see him as he is and we will be like him, we begin to live like him now. We put one foot in front of the other every day. We say, Lord, make me as you are in the world. Whoever has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. Now moving on to verse four. Look what it says. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin Because he has been born of God. These verses teach us another simple truth. That sin is serious. God takes sin seriously and we should also. Notice in verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. How often do we minimize sin by not calling it what it is? Like... If I've done anything wrong, maybe mistakes were made. Let's call it what it is. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion. The first step towards holy living is to recognize that wickedness is sin. We all do that, don't we? We want to minimize. We want to just kind of dial it back a little bit. Let's call things what they are. Let's see things the way God sees them. Sin is sin. Sin is lawlessness. Notice in verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 
See, the reason sin and the believer is incompatible because Jesus came to take away our sins. Jesus came to cleanse us of our sins, to carry it away. And in Jesus, there is no sin. Now, all of these words, sin, it's always in the present tense, which means living a lifestyle of continual sin. We've already seen in John that if we say that we have no sin, we lie and don't practice the truth, right? So the idea is not that we don't struggle with things, but the idea is, are we living in willful, perpetual rebellion? A lifestyle of sin. Now, if you're in here today and you're wondering, I wonder if I'm doing that, I would ask the person closest to you who loves Jesus. So you husbands ask your wives, you wives ask your husbands. If you're here with your best friend, say, listen, is there anything in my life that is a lifestyle of sinfulness? And hold on to your hats, but the truth will set you free. God is in the process of purifying all of our lives. But if we never ask the right questions, we never will get the proper answers. A lifestyle of rebellion against God is incompatible with faith in Jesus. Sin is serious. It's very serious. Notice what he says. Whoever abides in him does not, in the present tense, continue on in sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Wow. John's rough sometimes. If you continue in a lifestyle of habitual rebellion against God, you have not seen him nor known him, it says. Look at verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So do you see what happens here? He says this. If you sin, if you lead a lifestyle of perpetual, habitual rebellion against God, you're learning that from Satan. That's where you're learning it from, because that's what Satan does. And the apostle John is very clear with the reality That a righteous character expresses itself in righteous conduct. A righteous character lives out in righteous conduct. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And so we need to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to deal ruthlessly with the areas of rebellion in my own heart. Listen to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. If your hand causes you to sin... Cut it off, for it is better to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel taught today that we have a big problem. We all want to get into heaven and be part of God's family. Who wouldn't? The dilemma, as we found out, is that we are not perfect, and God is. We learned that this sin thing is what keeps us from being in God's family. Thankfully, Pastor Daniel shared that God made a way for us to become cleansed and perfect and thus qualify to be part of God's kingdom through Jesus. 
Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his teaching, God is Pure. He will talk more about the contrast between God's purity and our impurity, as well as how the follower of Jesus should deal with the sin in their lives. You'll be challenged to look realistically at your way of living and be willing to remove the sin that is in your life, just like it is in everyone's lives. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called God Is. Next time. Until then, may God bless.